0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Invoking Witchcraft. I am one of your hosts, Jay Allen Cross, also known as at Oregon Woodwitch on Instagram. And I am here with... Hey,
1: everyone. I am Britton Boyd, also known as Archaic Honey on the Instagrams.
0: Love it. Now, Britton was just telling me actually a really cool story about something that happened to them in the sagebrush uh, with a rosary and some other interesting uh visitations, shall we say. Do you want to tell them what's been going on?
1: Right. So I live in what's called the sagebrush step ecology. It's nice to lay the land out uh, for listeners, just so you have a visual. Lots of rolling hills, big mountains in the background, and then sagebrush, which is this uh, shrub. It can grow up to six to seven feet high, like old growth sagebrush, but they're pretty scrubby, usually around hip height. And, um, you know, I've been praying the rosary lately and i went out to this rocky outcropping and i prayed a decade of the rosary and then i just prayed from the heart and i was with my dog and we were walking out of the area and heading back towards my truck but we were quite a ways away from my truck and it was very hot. So we stopped at this little shelter that they have on the trail out there. And uh, my dog was just panting and we were just cooling off for a minute before we continued on our way. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a brown bushy tail trotting down the pathway and it was a coyote. And I've seen coyotes out there before, but this coyote stopped and sat and stared directly at us for a little while. And we just stopped and stared back. And then the coyote started yipping and howling and singing. And I thought it was beautiful. I was like, oh, what a great, beautiful time to share with this coyote and my dog. And, uh, you know, obviously I had my dog leashed. You should always have your dog Mm. leashed in coyote country. Then the yips started to um, weave in a little bit of a growl. Mm -hmm. So the coyote began to like growl and yip. I won't try and imitate it here.
0: (laughs) It was pretty intense. I watched the video and could hear it.
1: Right. And so I was like, okay, this kind of feels a little bit like a warning. Uh, you know, kind of like a hey, you're here in my space. I'm I don't really like it the coyote was telling me. So we got up and started walking away and I noticed that tr- coyote started trotting alongside us for a little ways and it made me nervous. I was like, "Oh my gosh. Like this coyote's following me." <laughs> And so, I stopped, turned around, and the coyote would stop every time I turned around. And this coyote followed us for um, probably 200 yards and was keeping an eye on us. And then in the middle of all that, I saw a giant bull snake. And uh, I got a little nervous because I was, you know, coyotes don't really attack people. Um, They're more afraid of us than, you know, so... I got back into my truck and I got home and I did a little research because the word that came to mind was I was escorted by Mm -hmm. a coyote. I was escorted off the premises and come to find out this is a behavior that coyotes exhibit when you are in their territory or they have pups. Oh, A, a den nearby. Yeah. So this coyote just, you know, was like, hey, not your space. This is mine. I'm yeah. just going to lead you out of here. So I got escorted by a coyote yesterday. So does
0: cool. that mean it was most likely like a mama coyote? I think so. That was the sense that I got, What that it was a mama,
1: and uh, she must have had a den nearby. There is a pack of coyotes that live in this area, so
0: interesting that you were praying a rosary to kind of a a motherly figure and then suddenly come across a very motherly act from a uh kind of a wild animal in your area that's Mm -hmm. that's spooky but also really kind of cool
1: i know i was like what's it mean (laughs) what does it mean what does it mean but you know i don't immediately like to jump to the conclusion that they're a spirit ally just because i had that interaction with them and a Mm -hmm. lot of people are like oh that's your spirit ally, that's your, you know, a spirit yeah. ally or whatever. And um, no, it was just an interesting interaction that I had with, an, with the animal and their spirit for sure, but I mm. wouldn't go as far to say that they were like showing up as a spirit ally. Um, mm. It's always wise to just uh, take that into consideration and not jump to conclusions because, you know, we like to think we're special, but also <laughs> animals are going to be animals and they're going to go do their thing
0: right? You, you mean that the coyotes did not choose you specifically as the one special chosen one,
1: (laughs) right? (laughs) I am not the chosen one. You spoke about being the chosen one recently.
0: Oh, I did. I, I did. I made a post yesterday. Um, so I, the jury is still out on whether or not I might be able to do it. Um, I tried my hand at water dowsing, which is something that my that happens in my family, actually on my paternal side, which is hilarious because my witchy side is my mother's side. Um, but on my paternal side, I come from water dowsers. My grandfather is very good at it um, to the point where the 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 switch will point down to the ground so intensely and so fast that it will rip out of his hand and normally he's, he's left holding the bark. Like it will strip the bark from it. It will, it will jerk out of his hand so intensely to point to water. Um, But my grandpa, when he was teaching me all, all of this was very adamant. He's like, you may or may not be able to do it. He's like, my father could do it and I can do it, but none of my siblings could do it. And he went so far as to say that even, when I was doing it and or even when he was doing it and walking around when when the rod would start to move, if one of his brothers would come over and like touch him, like place their hand on his shoulder something like that, it would stop working. Wow. Um, and there's no explanation for it. It's just, you know, that's just how it works, I guess. And so um, I went out to try. And nothing happened, but also there was a great deal of area that I couldn't get to because it was covered in Blackberry. And that was also the area where they s- suspected that the water would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Um, but the idea still, it, it still kind of presents the idea that I may not be able to do water dowsing or I may not have inherited the gift and guess what, everybody? That is absolutely okay to not be gifted at something. I think these days when people find out that they're not actually the chosen one or, or their specialness comes into question or, or there might be a limit on their specialness, people freak out in this day and age that they are not the most powerful being or, or whatever. Sometimes there are things that we just can't do. Sometimes we're just not gifted at stuff and stuff is not for us. And that is okay. And I think that that is a pill the entire community really needs to swallow. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that has been our last few days. And I do want to jump into this because today we are taking listener questions. And I like this episode because, number one, we get to kind of respond to you guys, um, hear what you guys want to talk about. But just so you know, we have a coven online that you can find on our website, invokingwitchcraft.com. And there you can sign up for our coven and every week, we answer your guys' questions. So you get access to a special group on Facebook and we go live um, every Friday at three right now. Um, And we answer people's questions. So if you like today's episodes, you like getting your questions answered, um, definitely sign up for the Coven because we're gonna be doing a whole lot of question answering there once a week. And it's really cheap to join. I think it starts at $5? It does,
1: $5 a month. And then there's a sliding scale. You can uh, do $10 a month, 15 or 25.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you get all access to all of this stuff, including um, weekly questions and answers. So definitely check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to start us off with the first question? Yeah.
1: So these are questions that we have gotten in our inbox. So if you have emailed us and we have not replied, we are answering your questions through the show. <laughs> so thanks for bearing with us. We get a lot of emails. So these are a handful that I selected that were really interesting. And the first question that we have is, um, I have questions about pulling upside down cards. Do you have to interpret them that way? Or can you choose not to? Would you recommend stating the intention to not read upside down before you pull? Does it tend to be more negative or opposite inverse? And what about upside down cards, cards with oracle decks? That's an interesting one with Oracle deck. So, mm. reading reversals, what do you think, Jay?
0: Um, reading reversals is great, but it is not something that you have to do. I know a lot of really really skilled card readers that that don't read reversals. And and you don't read them either, do you?
1: No, I do not.
0: Yeah. And and I I read them just because I find that it adds a certain depth to it, but I often find that those who read them upright, still have the same depth or, or the same ability to see that information in the card, even when it's not upside down. So if you're, if you're throwing out cards and you just don't want to, you know, tackle a reverse meaning, you can absolutely flip that card right side up and it will still give you the information that you are seeking. Mm-hmm. Um, in that they, they asked too that it, does it tend to be more negative or opposite slash inverse? Um, now when it comes to reading reversals, it's it's not as simple as saying this is the negative or saying this is the opposite. It's more, um, first, it depends on the card. It also depends on kind of the context that it's read in, like, like all the tarot cards, depending on kind of the cards around it, what the question was, etc. The, the card will have different meanings. But when it comes to a reversal, I often think of it more as card turned inside out almost because it's the same message in reverse but it's just characterized a different way so like for instance um the the death card is all about change it's all about the end of something and then the beginning of something else um and when you read the reverse death card um and again, there's nuance and context to this that might change this. But um, but when you read the reverse death card, that might mean that change is happening, or that that ending is happening, but you are resisting it, or maybe are afraid of it, or maybe are trying to push it away, or or things mm-hmm. like that. So it's not necessarily. It doesn't mean that because the death card is inverted, it doesn't mean there isn't going to be an ending, or the ending is going to be really bad. It's simply um, characterizes the card a little differently
1: right yeah and so this is it's this is a great conversation because i do not read reversals and jay does so Mm -hmm. you get to have um a bit of both perspective here and for myself the way that i read tarot is that there is um a shadow side to to each card and I, I generally weave that into the reading, especially depending on how the cards lay themselves out and like the context of the cards and the situation. So especially with court cards, for me, there's always a shadow side to each court card. When it comes to with Oracle, when it comes to Oracle decks, I really don't read reversals with Oracle decks. Um, I just read them right side up because unless the guidebook that came with the Oracle deck indicates that you can read reversed um, or that you should, or you could, Um, you know, I just don't, I don't tend to do that. And the Oracle deck that I use consistently is the Pythia Botanica Oracle deck Mm -hmm. and it's a plant card deck and each card has a little poem or a little saying that goes with it. And I always read them because they're so good. And to read that reversed would just not really make a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And in my personal practice with tarot, it just never, it just never vibed with me to read reversals. I felt like the Mm -hmm. the tarot had enough already, but I also do have had readings with other readers who do read reversals and they're very powerful. There's no right or wrong way to read tarot, like make it your Mm -hmm. own practice you know your interpretations do not have to be by the book. Like I, mm-hmm. like Jay and I discussed on our um our tarot episode, you know we have unconventional interpretations for certain cards. Mm-hmm. So use your creativity, and if you feel called to read re- reversals, do it. Um, and if you don't,
0: don't. Yeah. Do not worry about it. If it's something that freaks you out or it's something that just doesn't make sense in your brain. Absolutely. Just read the upright cards. I I don't think that there's any, I, I, people get weird about such things and say, Oh, this way is better or whatever. I I agree. It's just do it. However is makes most sense in your brain Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. and
0: you're going to get the same results. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Have fun with it and don't get, um, don't get caught up in that right or wrong way. And for tarot beginners, I very often recommend they just read upright mm-hmm. to start, um, just so you get the lay of the land and you can figure out the meanings of the cards in the traditional mm-hmm. sense, and then also with your own personal interpretations as well. And uh, have fun with it.
0: Absolutely. I think that's really important, especially if you are learning, definitely stick with the uprights. Um, and then later on, if you then want to do the reversals, the reversals will make much more sense and be a lot more. Um, accessible to you it's a lot to hold in your brain to learn tarot period let alone to try and learn tarot both upright and reversed all at once that's too much Um, highly recommend starting with just the upright and then if you so choose moving into reversals Mm -hmm. absolutely
1: that's really good advice so should we move into our next question
0: we should this one this one is spicy, and I want to preface that we're we're not upset with the person who asked the question we're more upset with which talk, but i will i'll read it aloud to you here. Could um, I make
1: a quick preface before we yeah. dive into it? Yeah. content warning oh, um, yes. we will be talking about sexual assault, so if this is a topic that is um triggering for you, you may want to turn off the podcast and uh, skip ahead
0: mm, absolutely okay here's the question. You both have mentioned love spells a few times. I'd heard, admittedly from Witch Talk, that love spells done on other people, especially without their consent, are wildly unethical and are on par with sexual assault. The reasoning given is always that it takes away the other person's ability to consent. Is this true? Is there nuance here?
1: Oh, and is there nuance?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You go first on this one.
1: Okay, y'all. All right. As a survivor of multiple sexual assaults in my lifetime, I'm going to have to say a hard no here. This is not on par with sexual assault. Unless you are an all-powerful witch um, who can just do anything at the snap of their fingers, love spells are not guaranteed to work. Um, and love spells also have a varying degree of application. There are love bindings, Um, there are sugar jars. So that's kind of just like on a spectrum of like extreme to less extreme. And I would say if you're going to be working a, a, a sugar jar or a honey jar or something like that, that is like, you don't even have to do it for love. You can do that for a court case. You can do that for money. You can do that for yourself. It's a very sweet and gentle way to facilitate a loving sweetness between you and another person. And then, you know, when we go into like bindings and things like that, that that's not um, something that I do personally. I don't do that kind of love work. And I actually, maybe this, this could be a long rant. <laughs> I don't really do love work anymore. I used to, um, but I've learned my lessons. But to say that it's on par with sexual assault is just going too far for um, reasons I don't even think I really need to go into. Here, I think we just, we just know, you can't force another person through magic, in my opinion, to fall in love with you. And like the physicality of the action, like you can't force them unless you are applying physical force to them, or even just like coercive psychological force. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm
0: yes i completely agree with what you're saying here and and it's important to note that there are different kinds of love spells not all love spells are horribly dominating so if we're going to compare them from one thing to another um the way that we did between like a love spell and sexual assault there are love spells that are there just to try and get someone's attention maybe see if they like you maybe open up a conversation which would be on par with something like wearing a nice perfume or getting a little bit dressed up when you know that you're going to see them, like things like that. Like there are different levels. Um, Now in, in my culture, there are things called amares, which are love spells, but amares aren't just love spells. They tend to be very dominating love spells, which do borderline on mind control. um, In which case that is, that is definitely an issue. Um, because I've, I've had many people DM me about Amareis that have been done on people they know, people who are like, yeah, me and my husband were happily married for 15 years. We have three kids who he loves and adores and is a wonderful father, but he just woke up one morning and decided that he no longer loves me and went and just moved in with this random woman that I don't even know. And that he hasn't really ever spoken to, um, that's messed up. Absolutely. But not all love spells are that. There are varying degrees, and so while that might be super unethical um, and something that we definitely want to stay away from, that doesn't mean that all love magic is terrible and awful. Um, in fact, I find love love spells and love magic to be very playful, very exciting. Um, I, I do, I do like it, um, but it really comes down to how the person wanting this spell kind of views themselves I found because I do get a lot of messages from people that are like, hi, there's this guy that I've never spoken to before. Um, Can you make him love me against his will and be completely obsessed with me to the point that he can't sleep or eat? And I'm like, first of all, what, <laughs> like, um, right. why would you want that? Um, that sounds terrible. Um, and also maybe you should try talking to him as well because he might suck and you don't know that. <laughs> so it's better to find out before you strap yourself to this person forever. Um, so, you know, we have to make sure that we are loving ourselves enough to know that we are worth being loved in a willing capacity. <laughs>
1: Mm -hmm. right
0: we have to remember that we are worthy of finding someone who loves us willingly that's very important and so we definitely should not throw all of love magic in the same boat as super dominating spells and we definitely should not equate it to being the same thing as sexual assault because that's very not okay
1: (laughs) right it's very very different y'all and, you know, I have been on the receiving end of a love spell. Um, I know that someone was working on me. And, you know, this is, this may be helpful for this question um, because I remember how it felt when I was being worked on. It was a, at, a, at a great distance. They lived on the other side of the United States on the East Coast. And, um, you know, they were appearing in my dreams um, they were appearing in um, a lot of my social spheres. Um, they were just making themselves very present in my life. And um, I had received some gifts from them. And the energetic um, resonance that these gifts held, they had this um, kind of, um, it felt like lightning It felt Mm -hmm. like they were trying to reach for me and it hit me. I was like, they have done love work on me. They want Mm -hmm. my attention. They want to, you know, kind of come together here and I wasn't into it. So it's like, okay, maybe this sounds weird, but I'm thinking of Jedis and I'm thinking of Star (laughs) Wars here. It's like a Jedi mind trick. Yeah. A Jedi mind trick only works on the weak minded. I was not weak minded in this. I, I, I knew what I wanted, what I was about, and I shut it down. And people, for the most part, like when it does come to you, if you're wanting to attract someone, it's either going to work or it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And and there's nothing wrong. Like Jay was saying earlier, like you might get dressed up or you might put on a perfume or you might do your makeup in a certain way that really makes you boost your confidence. That that. Or you like spray catnip all over you and, or you're working with Queen Elizabeth Root to like boost your mm-hmm. power and attraction. That's a form of love magic, but you're, you're, you're trying to attract to you what, it, what will be attracted to you, not mm-hmm. by force, just by the force of attraction. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I can't say, you know, that's not sexual assault, y'all. Like no. TikTok, you need to simmer down.
0: Yeah, TikTok needs to calm down a, a bunch. And people also, I, I think people really don't take fate and destiny into consideration when they work their magic, because how many of us have had some significant other that we've broken up and we've been so sad or or maybe we fell in love with someone and they didn't return it and we've just been so bent up and so bent up and then like a year later or like a few months later or however much time later we meet someone who's like so much better than that person who we love so much more than that person and that was like meant to be and so i see a lot of people trying to really force it through magic that they've decided that they want this person And usually the people that they're really bent on are just not that great. Like I get a lot of messages from people like, yeah, he went into prison for like, Something awful and, but I, he's still my twin flame. So I, I, he has to be the one. And I'm like, are you sure? (laughs) Are you sure? And so I see people force it with magic and then get stuck with some terrible scrub while the person they were supposed to be with goes and finds someone really lovely (laughs) and they miss out. So, you know, if it's not working out, if you've, if you've lobbed a spell at somebody like, Hey, maybe notice me and they're not responding, move on. Absolutely move on because that's just not meant to be. I have been
1: there. Ask me how I know. And (laughs) if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And, you know, doing love magic and part of the reason I don't do it anymore and I have because I have learned my lessons is that when you're doing love magic, it can um, really activate the energetic force of Eros, which is very obsession, passion, kind Mm. of er it's erratic. And you really have to have discernment, and you really need to check yourself with your obsessions, in your passions, Mm -hmm. Um, especially to my fire sign kin out there. We can get wild and crazy with love and get really obsessed.
0: (laughs) We get this one is the one every two weeks. Yes, yeah, I feel it. Right, (laughs) yeah.
1: You can have like a five minute crush and think they're they're going to be your partner forever. Um, um, but really check yourself
0: Mm -hmm. always. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's important. I did have I did have one girl come to me four times and each time it was about three months apart, um, wanting me to do forcible love binds on random people to force them to love her to be absolutely obsessed with her. And every three months she'd come to me asking for that. But it was for a different guy each time. And I'm like, okay, we need therapy. Therapy is a thing that exists. Let's do that before we do love spells that's right. important because people are All mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right oh. yeah let's move into our <laughs> next
1: question all right y'all so somebody asks here hello i hope you are well i have a question for you please with all the talk on gatekeeping rules closed practices where is it we go to do it respectively so asking about gatekeeping and closed practices, this feels a little witch talky.
0: This does. Because let me tell you, if you look at the, if you just click on, on TikTok, the um, closed practices hashtag, it is just like a menagerie of virtue sigla- signaling. <laughs> it's just all these people like, I am so woke. So according to Witch Talk recently, um, plant magic is closed. Um, <sighs> Christianity is closed. Wow, we um, yeah, the, which is hilarious. <laughs> I'm like,
1: wow. Are you are you sure? Are you sure? Um, Guess I can't. Yeah, I can't proselytize
0: anymore. Nope. Um, and witchcraft is closed, so we all need to just just pack it up and and take it on out. Um, so. Starting with the, with the closed practices and, and where do we go to do it? Um, like respectfully. So if you are interested in a closed practice, say you, um, are interested in something like voodoo or Santeria, which you need, which is closed because it's initiatory based and you have to get certain divinations. So you don't just go and necessarily join those things. Um, there's a divination process to see if the spirits even want you. Um, and I think that that should be left up to spirits, not random people on TikTok. Um, I know a couple of, of white folks who have gone and joined Santeria and had the divinations done and the spirits were like, yes, please come um, hang out with us. And so they did the divinations did the initiations, followed the protocol and the traditions, which is really, really important. A lot of these practices aren't closed, meaning you can never do them. They are closed, meaning there is a process to getting into this that you need to follow, um, which is really important. So if you are interested in a closed practice, you need to find a way to connect with the proper people who can initiate you, do the divinations and whatnot. Um, Now, a lot of people are going, well, there's no one in my area that does that, or I don't have the money to go there and do this or that or this or that. And sometimes that absolutely does happen. Yeah, which case, we find a different path. Because if we are meant to do that work, it will find us. And simply because we are unable to find anyone around us who can initiate us or whatever, does not then give us license to just go, well, I'm just going to skip all of that and just start, you know, asking Oshun for things or mm-hmm. start telling people I'm a child of Shango or whatever. Um, we need to either go in and do it right, or we need to find somewhere else.
1: Right. Yep. So I'm going to share a little story here. Um, I uh, I can't say I dipped my toes into a closed practice, um, but I was strongly considering initiation into a closed practice called um, Kyambanda. And I had gotten... I had gotten a lead from a a reader who was doing a spiritual court reading for me. They were sensing spirits around me and uh, just identifying them for me. And one of them um, came to him. Now, he was not an initiate, but he was like, hey, this feels a lot like a Pambajira. Mm -hmm. And so, he was like, if you want to know more, you need to go to this person. So, Mm -hmm. I went to that person and I had a divination done. And the divination did in, indeed um, was positive and was like, yes, initiation is something that may be possible for you. And, you know, I live in rural Northeastern Oregon. There are no houses here in, mm. in Oregon that I know of. <laughs> and so I had been in communication with them. I had read their books I had received a few other readings that were all indicating very strongly, yes. And then I was having dreams. I was having experiences. And I had took the um, appropriate steps in veneration of these spirits um, that was allowed for non-initiates. Long story short, you know, it didn't work out for me. It was a period of time that I had where I was encountering these spirits very, very respectfully because spirits of Kimbanda are very hot. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, you need to be very careful with them and very respectful. And I did that. And you know what? I got burned. I had a period of time where my life was kind of going to shit.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Um, so I kind of had the opportunity and the funds to go to Brazil, but the more that I sat, I I really took my time with this. and, And I encourage anyone out there who is looking at a closed practice, um, to really, really search inside of yourself if this is for you. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered is it was not for me. This was not my path and I needed to take a step back. And so I did not go down that path. And I went down another one that was, you know, more available to me because it wasn't a, if you're going to be a part of a closed practice, it's, you're entering into a lineage and family Mm -hmm. and you need to like be there and and do that respectfully. So I don't know. That's my little story. around Those
0: practices. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's really important, especially. Deciding why, why is it that we are wanting to join this thing? Because I get that a lot. I I get people contacting me and being like, oh, well, I want to do this or I want to do that or I want to work with this spirit that like they have no business working with. And I'm like, "Okay, why? Why do you want to do that? And their answer is always like, well, I don't know. I'm just I'm just kind of drawn to them. And I'm like, okay, I am drawn to Jason Momoa. That doesn't mean he wants me in his house. Like that is not, it's not how this works.
1: Oh, but can we go to his house?
0: I mean, maybe I will hide in his laundry hamper and it will be fine. Um, But no, it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, we need, we need more than that. Because if you, if you are looking at spirits or a tradition, the same way that you look at a really great leather jacket that might look awesome on you, that's not, that's not the longevity that we are looking for. Cause a lot of these things are commitments. These are things that we really, really have to make sure that we are ready to strap in for and make it our life. Um, and if you are not ready to do that, then simply walk away from it. Like you don't have to continue to do it and it shouldn't then become a prop for your aesthetic or whatever it is. Um, just simply realize that we're not the chosen one and that's okay. <laughs> We've come full circle yeah, We're, not we're the chosen one. Right
1: and you raise such a great point because at, when I was on the verge of flying to Brazil to get initiated, I did have somebody stop me and they were like, why? Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God. And I was like, well, I've had a lot of dreams. You know, I I've had readings. I've gotten a yes, mm-hmm. you know, but still, even through all of that, I just knew it wasn't right for me.
0: Mm. Which is perfect. Even though you had the yes, you had to look at, am I really going to be able to do this right? Am I really going to be able to commit to it? And you decided no, which I think is very smart. Even if spirit is like, yeah, we would, we would be able to like, we would love to have you. Um, You were able to look at it and be like, you know what? I'm not going to be able to do this correctly. And Mm -hmm. this is not going to fit into my life the way that I would like it to if I was going to do this. And that's important. I think that's respectful. And I think that that is something that a lot of people really should do.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So how about our next question? Do you want to read that one?
0: (laughs) I do because I actually kind of love this question. Okay. She said, so this is a bit of an off the wall question, literally, but it is possible. But is it possible to use hair as a means of divination? Simply put, I share a shower with my sister who sticks her shed hair to the side of the stall instead of clogging our drain. And Mm -hmm. I'm always seeing pictures in the hair. Is that something that can be explored as a way of divination or communicating with spirits? That is hilarious because my sister used to do that as well when we were growing up. And my mother used to be so mad at her for doing that
1: i strong yes Mm -hmm. i think so have at it like you can divine with anything
0: absolutely i agree very much you can absolutely do that there's a big thing right now of course coming back to tiktok and using kind of unconventional things for for uh divination um the kind of in in what we call bruja talk is a big debate on using loteria cards for Uh, for divination because that's not their intended purpose and some people are super against it other people are like no that's fine Um, but what it really comes down to is we can use anything for divination you can use a deck of uno cards if you want for divination you can use the hair that your sister stuck to the wall (laughs) in the (laughs) shower as divination Um, because the truth is is that we had a lot of things that weren't used for divination until one day somebody decided to start using them Until one day someone looked in the bottom of a teacup and went, huh, I see a picture and then connected that to a later event. Then we have tea leaf reading. Like, so Mm -hmm. divination can really come from wherever the images and the symbolism jumps out at you from.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's an opportunity to cultivate a really unique gift. Like if, if you're able to read the stuck hair on the side of a shower wall like, what a cool ability to be able to, like, divine out of that, (laughs) you know what I mean? I'm really curious to to know what kind of shapes this person has seen, Um, because sometimes it's funny, because when I read this question, I was like, you know what, I have wondered the exact same thing, it just never really, like, came to the surface for me, Um, because I I shed a lot, um, and I will, my hair gets stuck on the side of, I don't put it there, it just Gets there. He just ends up there, and I'm like, "Wow, that really, you know, looks like a carrot, or <laughs> I don't know, you know, whatever." Symbolizing like. the
0: bountiful harvest, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that's great.
1: but you can literally divine with anything, like the shape of a flock of birds flying through the sky. Like mm-hmm. in one episode, you talked about counting magpies, which I do mm-hmm. now. Oh. Um, Right. Cause there's a lot of magpies out here. I also really love look cause where I'm sitting and looking out of my window, there's a giant tree right in front of me. And sometimes I'll cross my eyes a little bit and look for shapes that mm. take shape in the, um, in the canopy. Like you can do anything. You can read entrails.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just literally anything that you can see symbols in can be a, a divinatory practice. Um, which I love. And it doesn't have to be traditional in order for it to work. That's a thing that we're running into um, a lot kind of on the online sphere right now. Is like, oh, well, that's not traditional. Therefore, it's trash. Um, but that's not true. The magic has to grow with us. the The way that we let magic die is by assigning it to ancient tradition and then not moving forward at all with it. And then just making mm-hmm. it only how they did it hundreds of years ago because... <laughs> The magic needs to grow with us.
1: It does need to grow with us. You make a great point. And y'all, I don't know if you could hear my dog back there, but she is now a part of this podcast. Um, she is. Usi is her name. She co-producer is Usi. Uh, co-producer Usi. <laughs> She's just making sure that Jay and I are in line. Yeah. Alrighty. So yeah, literally you can divine with anything. And should we move to our next question? We should. How do you want to handle this one? <laughs> Okay, y'all. So what we're looking at, what Jay and I are looking at is a word brick, a huge amount of text. So I am actually going to not read this person's story. And I'm just going to extract their primary question out of their experience, because their experience experience is personal, and I don't feel to put it on the air. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are wondering, after an experience they had with a spirit, how do we know we're working with the spirit we think we're working with? And what if I am being tricked? And how can I make sure I'm not being tricked? Jay, I feel like this is your arena because you do all the paranormal work. How do you test a spirit?
0: Well, I think a great deal comes from preparation. But before we attempt spirit contact... Um, look around at the room. Where are we doing it? And are we doing it in a nasty basement where 72 people were murdered? Um, or are we doing it in a very clean room um, that is well organized and has beautiful sunlight streaming? in? I, I, I think, you know, first of all, your environment plays a big deal in what you're going to be contacting. Um, and then... Is the room energetically clean? Are you energetically clean? You know, when was the last time you cleansed the space Um, and and physically cleaned it as well? Because a lot of entities will be drawn or a lot of unfriendly entities will be drawn to mess and filth and clutter and stuff like that, which is why we don't want to do things like um, leave super dead flowers on our altar for a long time or let our offerings that we set out for our ancestor get super moldy or whatever. Um, because those are things that are going to, um, make your altar very hot. And those are things that are going to attract spirits that aren't really great. Um, so what I like to do is I like to make sure everything is clean and then I, um, burn some cleansing incense, things that are going to chase out negativity, bad entities, all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, whatever your preferred one is, there's, there's just a million of them. Um, you know, there's rosemary you can burn. You can do it with mugwort. It all depends on what exactly it is that you're doing, but doing some sort of energetic cleansing. And then once that's done, then we can attempt spirit contact. What we also want to do is we also want to be very specific as well. So we've, we've made sure that, you know, there's nothing icky hanging around that's going to try and be tricking us. So we've, we've cleansed the space and then. But then, if you sit at your altar and go, okay, anyone, uh, come talk to me, that's, that's not a good way to go about it because then you are inviting in literally anything. So be very specific. Who is it that you are wanting to talk to? Um, who is it that you are wanting to communicate with? And state clearly who it is that you are attempting to communicate with. That's really important to avoid kind of accidentally inviting in other things. This person, their story, they were kind of approached by the spirit first. The spirit kind of showed up to them. And I they, they think it was it was an ancestor that kind of showed up to them. And that kind of startled them. And, but that does happen. Occasionally, spirits will come to you. Um, all of us are kind of a little bit psychic to one degree or another and will have some sort of spirit contact during our lives. Um, and, and that is normal. That's absolutely fine. But if you are approached by a spirit and you want to make sure that they are real or or good for you we there's a few ways to test, and sometimes you can simply ask them, you know, are you either you know here for my highest good or or, or are you really this person? Um, and a lot of the times they will either out themselves or give you a weird trick answer if they're not um, but but really notice your interactions with the spirit are are they loving interactions are they beneficial interactions or does the spirit um, is the spirit constantly sad or is the spirit, um, angry and, or, um, does the spirit ask you things that they really shouldn't be asking you? Like, Hey, um, I want to send a message to somebody. Can I borrow your body for a minute? Like all that stuff is, is big. No, no. So if, if they're acting shady, if they're acting weird, um, they'll usually out themselves pretty, pretty quickly, um, at that point. So definitely, definitely at least just pay attention to them. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: i agree with everything you said i don't know if i have too much to add here but when it comes to like ancestor spirits you know tr- like really feel into your gut around that like usually your gut and your intuition can give you some sort of an indication that this isn't like some trickster spirit coming in the guise of your ancestor and mm-hmm. um, to to play with you and whatnot um the other thing to consider too is like when you start walking this path and, you know, you, you, whether or not you choose to take on the title of a witch, when you start opening these doors, spirit contact, like Jay said, is just going to happen at one time or another. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. But really feeling into your intuition with it, because, you know, I had a spirit for who the longest time I always felt this like very brash, very like aggressive, energy around me and it was like it would periodically come and it it would often come whenever I did my morning meditations and when I would call on my spirits and this very masculine aggressive energy would show up and I'd always just be like fuck off come to find out I got a reading later on and the spirit was identified through a reader and it was an ancestor spirit who was who had like a warrior type attitude and so I was like, oh, it's you. Ah. It's been you this whole time. So now I have a great relationship with this spirit. And I sometimes I have to be like, just calm down. You don't <laughs> got to be so, so aggressive. So <laughs> intense. Right? Yeah. So, um, you know, these things happen and have fun with it. Uh, and, and, you know, your story with your ancestor, it does sound like you you did really truly encounter an ancestor spirit and Mm. not somebody who's tricking you. So yeah. Yep.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. So we have two more left here. I do like this one. This was one that, um, we got via our Instagram. Um, and I'm sorry because we don't check those messages a whole lot. So if you are waiting for a response, it, it may still be coming. Um, but they wanted to know about circle casting. Um, You know, they're talking about kind of being a new witch and that they're really trying to learn, but they're not sure when a circle is really necessary. Um, So they want to know, they're like, do I need it for every spell? You know, what if I'm just making a healing cup of tea? You know, what is, what is the protocol here? Do we always need one? Um, So what, what are your yes and no's when it comes to circle casting and spells?
1: Well, we've, I don't know which episode we talked about this, um, but we have talked a little bit about circle casting in the past. Mm -hmm. And my stance is that um, as a folk magician, uh, I don't tend to cast circles much at all. Mm -hmm. Um, If I am doing a really serious working um, where I do feel I need to create a container of space, I will cast a circle. Mm -hmm. Um, if I am making a healing cup of tea or I am, you know, making, um, well, I take this back. I was about to say if I'm making magical oils, uh, I don't cast a circle, but I actually have been playing around with casting a circle to create a container of power for the oil itself mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, so it really is up to your discretion. But if you're making a cup of tea, just pray with the herbs cupped in your hand and then sprinkle them in your cup of water, your hot water water. However mm-hmm. you're making your tea. really, it's up to you. If you do feel to cast a circle every time you uh, want to do a working, that's really up to you. But you know, what is a circle? It is like a it's a um, perimeter, a bubble that we create to hold power in and kind of separate us mm-hmm. in a way from like the outside forces and to create that protective container. That's my opinion of what a circle is. Um, but no, I don't think you have to do it all the time Mm -hmm. Um, just do it as you feel too. What about you, Jay?
0: Um, I agree very much that it's, it's definitely not something that we always need to do. I honestly rarely cast a circle. That being said, you know, of course, if your tradition, um, requires it, or it's a big part of your tradition, I highly recommend it. Um, I also recommend it for beginners, um, especially if they're going to be doing like an actual spell, so something like making a cup of tea or whatever. I, I wouldn't worry about it so much, but if you're going to go like cast a spell or something for beginners, I do recommend it simply because it's practice moving energy. It's practice drawing boundaries, setting up sacred space, things like that. Um, so I, I do think it's very beneficial, especially for new folks. Um, and it can help to just to feel a little protected, a little insulated. It helps um, people feel just a little bit better about the whole process. So, so I definitely do, think that it that it has its benefits. Um but I don't think it's really necessary a lot of the time. There's some lore that it's like if you don't cast it then the spirits are going to come in and they're going to get you or there's you know the the wraith that is lurking beyond the circle or whatever. Um if if you have demons in your home that is just not normal. Um so you have much bigger problems um than that. But yeah, I I don't feel It's always necessary. So use your gut if you're like, you know what, this is a really big spell. I feel like it could use some containment. Absolutely. Um, Cast a circle. But if you're like, you know what, I'm throwing some leaves in this hot water. I'm lighting this candle and saying a prayer. I wouldn't worry about it.
1: I agree. I agree. And these things, you know, like with circle casting and with working with like ancestor spirits and and things like that, these are intuition building exercises. So don't hold yourself back from doing this work. like really feel into it. gain some experience, make a mistake. Mm-hmm. you know, like just experiment and see what happens. Um, and just because we make a mistake doesn't mean that we're a fuck up or mm-hmm. you know we're um we're necessarily always doing something wrong. It is an opportunity for growth and understanding in our practice. So um, don't hold yourself back.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
1: All righty. So our last question is pretty simple. Um, What do you do with a spell jar when you are done with it? Do we bury it? Do we throw it in the river? Do we put it in the graveyard? (laughs)
0: Oh no, (laughs) it all depends the disposal portion. And then this person, this is another one from our Instagram. And they were like, you know, they, they had kind of thought too at one point that they had done a a jar spell that really hadn't worked out well. And so they're like, you know, what happens if it's one that hasn't worked out well um, versus one that has, do we undo them? How do we undo them? Um, And I think that the first thing we need to kind of talk about when it comes to these types of spells, jar spells are very, very popular right now. However, what a lot of people aren't understanding is that jar spells take a great deal of time to work. When you create a jar, it will take months, if not years, to really reach its full potential, depending on what it is that you are trying to do. So people are are putting things in jars, lighting a candle on top of them, and then going, where is my result? Um and also, not everything belongs in a jar. I would not make something like a prosperity jar that is then sealed shut, where nothing can come in or come out of it. Um, I don't think that that's like a, a great way to to get that energy going. Um, so think about it for a while. You know, before you do a jar spell, are you committed to actually taking care of this long term? And also, does it make sense that this would need containment? Kind of like talking about the circle. Not all things need to be contained within an environment like that. So make sure that it makes sense to put your spell into a jar before you even begin.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. So when it comes to the disposal part, like Jay was saying, it really depends on the spell and like what you were working. So, Mm -hmm. for example... um, I actually have a sugar jar Mm -hmm. that I need to dispose of. And what I plan on doing with it is taking out the petition, because I put a piece of paper in it, taking that out and either burning it or flushing it down the toilet. And then the rest of it, I'm just going to pour out down the drain, Mm -hmm. wash it away, and I will probably reuse the jar because the jar is in good condition. It's glass Mm -hmm. and I'll wipe it out with Florida water. Mm -hmm. And um, because I burned candles on it, I'm going to replace the cap Mm -hmm. on it. So, cause uh, I don't know the wax built up, I could scrape Mm -hmm. it off or something like that, but repurpose it in a way But be sure that if you are going to reuse a jar that you use ammonia gently dilute dilute Mm -hmm. um, or use Florida water and just clean it up uh, before you reuse it. But You know, things you shouldn't do in disposal is you shouldn't, um, I have seen suggested in some places that when you are done with a, say, a sugar jar, just going to run with that, um, is to throw the whole thing in a river. Don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) Be respectful. Like, that's that's polluting. And also, glass in a river is really unkind to the river and to any persons or more than human kin who might be swimming around in there. No, I was about to say you could probably bury them. But to me, that's like if you've worked a jar, its results have come about and you want to persistently keep the results around, mm-hmm. but you're done working it, like maybe bury it.
0: Yeah. So say like if we're using the, the sugar gar- jar thing um, and, you know, it's worked out very well and you want to keep that kind of energy going, but you're done working it. Absolutely. Um, then I would bury it in your backyard. Um but there's this, this this thing that all spell remains either need to go into a river or get buried is, is very disconcerting to me uh, mm-hmm. because that's number one, not always the best thing to do for your spell in general, but also that leads to a lot of just nasty things being put into the earth and being put into the water. And especially for a lot of us who are supposed to be kind of like earth based religion people, um, that's not how you want to do it. There and again, it depends on on what type of jar it is. So, so say you've done a hex jar, okay. Then I would bury that, um, but like in a cemetery, not in like a park or under a tree or like, um, someplace nice. I wouldn't do that. I I would I would put it elsewhere. But even then, that's not always super traditional. A lot of hex things would be done in bottles, and they would then be hung in a tree in a graveyard. Uh, which is very different. So it all depends on kind of what it is that you are doing, what is in it um, and all that. So, and I also think too, that we also need to be kind of realistic about it. A lot of this is going to go into the trash because that is what we have available to us. A lot of us are going to be in the city or in an apartment or something. We don't have a yard to go bury it in or, or don't really have a place where we can just go digging up and putting stuff in. So yeah, sometimes these things go into the trash and that is absolutely fine, but just do it with a little bit of reverence, you know, like thank you for everything that you've done jar. Um, this is great. Take out the things that you want to reuse, like, um, you know, any stones or, or whatever it is that, that you want to reuse and then dump the rest of it in the trash. But like, you know, just try and do so kind of reverently.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. All righty, y'all that wraps up our little Q&A that we have for today. And thank you for listening. And like Jay shared earlier, we do have a coven. Um, it is a is kind of like our Patreon for the podcast, all of the proceeds go to support the podcast and the production of it. Um, which does cost money. And if you would like to join and be a part of our weekly Q&A that we host every Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we would love to have you. We have a really cool growing community there and it's a lot of fun. We have tons of fun in the group and the questions are always awesome and fun and we explore so many different topics and folks chime in with their wisdom and like their experiences and it's just, it's really cool. So we would love to have you. You can find the link to that in the show notes.
0: All right, you guys. And remember... Do witchcraft. Do it. Support for this
1: podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate or... If you'd like to become a premium listener, join the Coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash Coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.